Last week we looked at vowels and oaths. They're not necessary. And your word should be good enough. Jesus spoke about integrity. I want you to understand something. Jesus is really attacking a system. He's attacking a system that has been changed, altered, to fit the religious elite's agenda. And so last week we looked at the loopholes that they had put forth, added to make things fit the way that they wanted. And Jesus said this, do not make an oath at all, either by heaven. The argument there was, if I, made an, if I made an oath by heaven, it doesn't really count. Jesus says, for it is the throne of God, so you can't wiggle out of that one. Then he says, or by earth. Well, I swore by earth, I don't have to uphold that oath that I made, therefore it's no good. And Jesus says, for it is God's footstool. Or by Jerusalem. I only swore by Jerusalem, therefore I don't need to honor this. And then Jesus says, for God sits on his throne in Jerusalem, therefore you cannot get out of it. So there's, I, when, when you read the Sermon on the Mount, look at what Jesus is saying and who he is targeting. A second thought here is that Jesus is taking an external law and he is actually interpreting the law in light of the New Testament in which the law will come inward, a fulfillment of Jeremiah 33. I will write my laws on your heart. So there is a transformation taking place and there is also a refuting of the Judaizers who had not all, and I don't want to lump every every Pharisee and scribe into this category. I don't want to do that. But let's say a large portion of them were doing things that were very questionable. And they would, and, and we do the same things in our own lives too, by the way. We can, we can make things fit. But Jesus now is going to attack this. Ian Campbell, I, I think, has a really good overview of this before we get in. Um, he, he says this, the principle of giving an eye for an eye was part of the Old Testament case law, which provided safeguards against the damage of personal property and possessions. The problem was the rabbis of Jesus's day were misusing the provision of the law. Absolutely. They had extended this principle to just retaliation from the courts of law where it belonged to, a, to the realm of personal relationships where it did not belong. So in other words, they were, they were misusing the law in a way which allowed them to do whatever they wanted to do. They could retaliate, oh, there's a law here for this. And so he goes on to say, uh, Ian Campbell does, they justified their retaliation uh, and the taking of revenge by a law that was designed to prevent just that. So, so if you're sitting listening to the Sermon on the Mount and you are a scribe or a Pharisee, there may have been other sects there at that time, uh, sitting there listening, you're going, well, he's attacking us. 
This was not a popular message for them. And this kind of justifies why Jesus had to come in the first place. Because men do not always do what they're supposed to do, and they do not honor the laws of God. I will say this. It is tougher to be a Christian. If we, we unpack this, it is tougher to be a Christian than it is to obey the law. You notice Jesus is turning this law inward. Jesus said earlier, you have heard it said you should not commit adultery. Remember that one? Well, that's, that's an act. But Jesus says, I tell you, if you look upon a woman, you have committed adultery. That's an inward deal. So Jesus is definitely changing this external law inward, fulfilling Jeremiah 33. So with that little brief introduction, let's move on. Uh, overall, Jesus says, do not retaliate. And he quotes the law of Moses. Well, not really. Again, like last week, Jesus principalizes it. He principalizes the law. You have heard that it was said, and that goes back to, it's, it's a repeated theme uh, back here in 21. You have heard that it was said. 27, you have heard that it was said. Uh, in 31, you have heard that it was said. So he is repeating something that has happened in the past, and we are talking here about the Old Testament law. On two occasions, this is the second occasion, Jesus doesn't directly quote the entire law. He quotes a portion of it. An eye for an eye, this is in verse 38a, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's not a direct quote. In, in fact, um, in Exodus 21:24, context dictates everything. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, foot for, uh, and foot for foot. But here the issue is pregnant women. This is where I brought in the issue of abortion. That the Bible does speak about abortion in, in a sense of which some part of the child is harmed or the whole part of the child is harmed. But there is the principle, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's part of it. But then Jesus doesn't quote hand and foot. Then there's this one, which is a better one. And your eye shall not pity, but life shall be for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Jesus quotes two of these. Just two. This law was there to prevent abuse. This law was put there to prevent abuse. But the same ones who were supposed to be overseers of the law and protectors of the law, they were using the law for their own gain, as men do. As men do. By the time of Christ, by the time Jesus arrived, the actual physical taking of an eye, a hand, and a foot had slowed to a crawl. Most of it had then gone to the courts for financial retribution. Now back in the Old Testament when Moses wrote this, you stole, your hand's gone. I mean, there were tons of, of laws and rules. But by the time of Christ, things had softened a little bit. And so now, the issue here is Jesus is opposing not brutality, although that is wrong. 
Jesus is not so much opposing physical retaliation. Now listen to this. This is important. What Jesus is opposing is the principle of insisting on even legitimate retribution. So, for the law of Moses. And then Jesus utters the words, but I say. This is what portion of this principle taught, but now I'm going to tell you how that applies, how I am going to change, how that plays out in your life. Listen to me, listen to me. It is much harder to be a New Testament Christian than it is just following the law. Because a New Testament Christian, Jesus looks at the heart. He does not look at the outward stuff. And this is what the Pharisees and the Sadducees had. And the scribes and innocents and all these other groups, they had the outward performance, but could be totally corrupt on the inside. And so Jesus wants to say, okay, look, if you want to be my follower, because everybody's sitting here, probably a couple thousand out there, right there on, uh, on the mount, and he's sitting there, and he's talking to them, and they're sitting, he's sitting, and they're listening to this. And this is, if, if you read it, it took me 14 minutes to read it completely through, chapters 5, 6, and 7. Of course, I had a stopwatch there, so I was trying to read fast to see how fast I could get through it. It's probably closer to 20 minutes when you're reading it just at a normal pace. And then Jesus says, but I say to you, this is tough, listen to this. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Resist. Anathistomi. Anathistomi. And that means to oppose, to rebel against, or to set oneself against. So Jesus is telling us not to retaliate. Somebody does something to you, and I get it. How many of you have ever been hurt by somebody? Yeah, okay, we all have. So easy for us to say, <laughs> you think you're slick. I've got something slicker up my sleeve. That's not how we roll, guys, gals. That's not a follower of Christ. I like what R.T. France says, the verb resist is sometimes used to take legal action against somebody. These verses are not, therefore, a prescription for nonviolent resistance. Absolutely true. But for no resistance at all, even by legal means. There is never a time, R.T. France is correct, there is never a time where Jesus says, it's okay to retaliate against somebody. At all. You notice Jesus doesn't use loopholes here. Do not resist the evil one. Okay, the question is, who's the evil one? Paneros is the Greek word there for evil one, and it, it refers to an immoral or bad person. Somebody who does not know Christ, 
Think, just think for a minute. Somebody that does not know Christ lashes out against you. You, as a born-again believer, have two choices. You have, you have two choices. You can choose to lower your standards and attack back, or you can simply back away and say nothing. Those are the options that you have. There may be a middle road, but Jesus is not... There's no loopholes here. I can't see a loophole out of this when he says, do not resist the evil one. So the question is, I know you're thinking it as I'm preaching this, is there ever a time that we can resist? I have one of my own, and two of them are pretty scriptural. Um, when can we resist? Well, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's James 4, 7. Who is control? Who is in control of the lost person ultimately? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of this dark age. Who is actually in control of the unbeliever who is striking out against you and me? Possibly for our faith, you know, maybe for some other reasons. They just don't like us. Satan is ultimately in control of the individual. They wouldn't say that. They wouldn't be identified. So resist the devil and he will flee. One that is better, too, that I like is from 1 Peter 5, 8, 9. Be self-controlled and alert. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a, a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. And that word resist means to take a stand like you're going to push, like, and I think we've studied this before in First Peter, it is where military would take a position and they would hold that position and they would resist the opposition. There's times that we fight, not like this, but like this. You got somebody that's giving you a hard time in your life, pray for them. Don't sit up all night thinking of ways that you can get back at them. <laughs> yeah. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same types of suffering. We're talking about suffering at some point here because if you get attacked for your faith, these are probably the same people that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5.11. Blessed are you when men say all kinds of evil against you and, and rail against you for great is your reward in the kingdom of God. Now Jesus is saying, look, as you live your Christian life, you can't fight the way the world fights. You can't do it. I get it. When I was a younger pastor, I used to sit up at night and think of how I could get these guys back. <laughs> I don't do that anymore because I know that's not right. I had some very bad stuff in my first full-time church. And I was younger and didn't really know how to handle it appropriately. I don't, I don't have any problem admitting that. I didn't do anything wrong, but I, inward, I didn't handle it appropriately. Again, I was a young pastor. I was in my mid-30s. I guess that's young, right, by today's standards. Mid-30s is young. It sure feels like it today. <laughs> but, um, yeah. This is what I think. And I'm going to say what the Apostle Paul said. Not the Lord, but I say, whenever truth is involved, 
you can certainly state the truth. Somebody is spreading lies about you. This is not retaliation. This is stating the truth. You can tell the truth in love. What Jesus is talking about is getting somebody back for a wrong that they have done you. Now, I do believe that truth has to be exposed. You, somebody lies about you, that, you know, you look at the papers. To, but it's not that you share the truth and attack back. You just simply state the truth. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. That is not, that is not truthful. That is wrong. And this is why. You do not attack the person. And it is easy, brothers and sisters. I get it. It is easy. It, isn't that harder when you think about it? Isn't that harder being a follower of Christ than it is just listening to a law? Because everything within us goes, you know what? Somebody does something wrong to me. I want to push back. I want to push back and I want to say something. So... Verse 38 and part of 39. So if you're sitting there on the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus is sitting and he's talking, you're going, well, how do I apply this? Well, Jesus now gives four illustrations of how to apply it in 39b through the rest of what we're studying today. He tells us to take the high road. He tells us to take the high road. Do not retaliate. Please listen. Do not retaliate. Take the high road. The high road is often, well, it is, when, when I say high road, I'm talking about Christ road. It is always difficult, and it is always less traveled, because sometimes in our lives, we get excited, and we fire back, and we say stuff that we can say, right? We've all done that. We've all been and the best thing to do in those moments is say, God, you know what, I'm sorry, and then apologize to the person that offended you. That's a bigger person. That's taking the high road. And he deals with insults right up front. So Jesus had just stated the principle, but I say to you, resist, do not resist the evil one. Let him have his way or her way. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek... You remember, Jesus never says left. Have you noticed that throughout the Sermon of the Mount? It's always the right. Why is the right? Right is a position of honor and righteousness, integrity. So Jesus said, if somebody smacks you on the right cheek, um, and this word slaps is, I love this word, raspizo. Raspizo, and it could mean backhanded. It could mean swung from the right open-handed, or it could mean closed-handed. Closed, you're, you have a fist. It can mean any one of those three, and I think they all apply. Somebody slaps you, pushes you back. You simply, when they hit you, When they hit you, hit me again. Well, the law said if you're slapped, Jesus says, pull it back. 
Turn to him the other cheek also. Craig Bloomberg. Striking a person on the right cheek suggests a backhanded slap from typically a right-handed aggressor. Although it could be, study it, it could be either way. Right-handed aggressor and was characteristic form, characteristical form of a Jewish insult. So to slap somebody was to insult them. I don't think you have to slap people to insult them. Let's talk about social media. You put something out on social media. Twitter is brutal, by the way. Twitter is brutal. It's amazing. And by the way, did you know this past week, uh, the owners of Facebook and Twitter were called before Congress to give an account of why they're handling things the way that they are. People have loopholes. Somebody attacks you on Twitter. The response, well, this is what I... <laughs> I remember defending a Christian woman on Twitter she had said something about it, it it was about God and I defended her I don't know there were at least I, I, I'm thinking 200 tweets telling her to crawl back into the hole that she crawled out of that was the mild form and and I responded and said this woman is of God and she is saying godly things. And you know what I did? I never went back to look and see what they said about me. Because what you don't want to do, you think I'm this? Well, well, you don't, you don't use carriage returns anymore. <laughs> you, don't do that. You, you don't have typewriters anymore. <laughs> you type back, and you spew back. Have you ever done that on Twitter or Facebook? There's a wonderful button on both devices that says block. We are called to a higher standard. When somebody insults you, the best thing to do, this is my advice, pastoral theology, pastoral advice, whatever you want to call it, is to simply walk away. Think of it this way. If you respond back, if I respond back in a way which appears to be unloving or uncaring or thoughtless, and I respond back, how hard is it going to be for me to tell that person about Jesus? That becomes very important. Because if I blow a gasket and I lose my witness and I write things that I shouldn't write and I type things that I shouldn't type in response, it really does hinder the work of Christ. 
You could say it this way. Somebody could say, come back to, to you or me and say, is this what a Christian is? That's problematic. Sometimes, trust me on this, because I've learned, live and learn, live and burn, whatever you want to say it. The best thing to do when somebody is attacking you is just, who are they going to fight with when you're not there? Take the high road. And a day, the day in which, I don't know about Instagram. I'm not on Instagram. I have an account. I'm not on it much. Hardly ever. There's some other apps. But this is where Christians can blow their witness and make it very difficult to say, I'm a follower of Christ. Oh, really? And you use that kind of language. Wow. Okay. I don't want anything to do with it. Never be the cause of somebody else's inability to come to Christ or give them ammunition so that they don't have to come to Christ. Jesus is smart here. He's saying, this is going to happen to you. He's telling his followers right here. Jesus wouldn't say it if, if he didn't believe that it was going to come true. So when somebody slaps you, turn the other cheek. Don't get on there and go on a 15-page rant. It doesn't work. It's not good. Property. Here's one. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Well, that's not much, right? Well, the word sue is clean-o. The way I like that word is they will clean you out. Clean-o. It's, it's a good way to look at it. Sue, clean-o. To judge a person to be guilty and liable for punishment in a court system. So you've done something wrong and they're coming after your tunic. You say, well, tunic's not that big of a deal. Well, it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. By the way, this is a tunic on the left side. This was the garment that was worn closest to the skin. Sometimes that's all you wore was the tunic. Now, some tunics were long, some were short, depending on the circumstance. You would wear this, it would be wrapped around like this, and you would wear it during the day, but you would also wear it to bed at night. So the tunic was really a big deal. Talk about taking you to the cleaners. But then the cloak was even more important. So Jesus is saying, if they do this, give it to them. The cloak you can see here, the man in the middle, that was worn in the evenings. It was also worn when it was cold. It, was, it would go over the tunic. And you would use the cloak at night to cover yourself when you slept. So Jesus is telling them, let them have your day clothes. Let them have your bed. Let them have it. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He's saying whatever they ask, give it. And big stuff. This is big. In that culture at that time, this was huge. It would be like them saying, okay, we want your house. Or all of your expensive, massive communication stuff and 
everything. Just let them have it. Yeah, you, you, I, know, I know you're thinking. I read it too, and I go, well, that's not a big deal, tunic and cloak. And then you actually study it, and you realize, well, it is a pretty big deal. There's nothing to keep you, nothing to wear. And so you could say it this way, literally give them the clothes off your back. So say, here, you want my tunic? Take it. And by the way, I'll give you my bedding too. What will keep me warm? Jesus doesn't stop there. He talks about service. He talks about service. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, which is, none of the English translations are correct on this, but anyway, um, I go back to the original source. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. I know why translators do it, so to give us kind of a, an understanding. The word for forces is argoo ruo, argoo ruo. And that means to carry a load. So a force is really a load. And it is also a reference to forcing civilians to carrying a load. What is Jesus talking about? The mile is milion. Milion is the Greek word, and that is a Roman mile, or 1,000 steps, or one kilometer. So what is Jesus talking about? Freeman and Chadwick are correct. The reference here is to the ancient, ancient Persian custom. The Persians introduced the use of regular couriers to carry letters and news. The king's courier had absolute command of all help that was necessary in the performance of his task. He could press horses into service and compel the owners to accompany him if he desired. To refuse compliance with his demands was an unpardonable offense against the king. In other words, the courier comes to you and says, I have need of your horse and you're going to help me. And you go, no, thank you. See ya. That's force. But by the time of Christ, and by the time Jesus said this, it would have been much more readily understood in this context. There was also the practice in Roman-occupied territory that any Roman soldier could require a citizen to carry his equipment, cloak, or other burdens for one mile. One mile and no more. Jesus said, if you're forced to do that, don't just do one mile, go two. Isn't that a higher standard? This is also a reference to burden. I'm wondering, just out of curiosity, as I was studying this this week, I think God gave me this. It was like, as I studied this and I, as I drilled down into it to find out the, the, the concepts, I wonder if this is where the Apostle Paul got this verse. Carry each other's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Yeah, I think he did. And see, this isn't just for the lost community. This is for us. 
This is the locker room where we build ourselves up and we come together as believers and we help each other, right? That's what we do. We help each other. We love each other. And so we're going to help carry when somebody cannot carry their own stuff. So thankful. We were all praying for Lynette and she's going home today. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? We carried the burden of prayer. The surgery went well. We're so thankful for that. That's a burden lifter. We were doing that. That was our part of it. We couldn't be there for the surgery, but we carried each other's burdens. And that's what we're to do, and that's what Jesus says. If there's somebody in the church that constantly has burdens, we're supposed to carry them. If they want us to go one mile, we go two. If it's somebody out and about in the community that, that needs help, then we go the extra mile. That's the higher calling. That's what the high ground looks like. That we do above and beyond what is required. Well, the law, you just did the law and that was it. But you go the extra mile or the extra thousand paces. Now I'm going to touch on a subject that nobody likes to talk about. Money. Give to the one who begs from you. Dido me, the word give means to deposit. That means to take or to pay, to give out. Many of you know this. I don't share this to say, well, look at me. I don't share it that way. Uh, last month or the end of August, might have been the first of September. I don't know, but I know it was recent. A man showed up at my door, which is often the case. They see the, they see the church. They make the connection, which, by the way, we need to move the parsonage. No, I'm just kidding. Um, a man came up, knocked on my door, needed a ride to Tuscola. It was right about the time we were going to eat dinner. I saw the clothes he was wearing. He said he needed to get to the sheriff's department in Tuscola because they were going to give him a place to sleep uh, for the night so that he could go on his journey the next day. So I said, okay, I said, I'll just eat when I get back. We get in the car. I've shared this story before. We get in the car. He smelled bad. And I heard a stomach grumbling. And I said, when was the last time you had something to eat? He said, I had a half a sandwich that somebody gave me this morning. It was 6 o'clock at night. I said, you know what? When we get to the sheriff's department, we're going to stop and we're going to get you something to eat. So, we get to the Tuscola Police Department. Of course, nobody's there. So we have to call around. Eventually, found out that there is a state trooper's office right there. If you go across the street, there's a state trooper's office. We sat in there for over an hour, waiting. I said, do you mind if we go get him food and then come back? I was honestly, I was going to order him anything that he wanted. Whatever you want. He said, I said, this is what's open. He said, let's go to Taco Bell. 
I wanted him to, I said, look, you, you don't have, you can order whatever you want. He ordered off the dollar menu. I said, no, no, you don't understand. I'll buy whatever you want. I just want two tacos and a Coke. And I think about this. And I think about... Yeah, my initial response was, oh, it's five o'clock or six. I was getting ready to eat, and it was kind of an inconvenience, and then God showed me something else. I was going to do it anyway. But God wanted me to see that. And by the way, highly intelligent person. Highly intelligent. He knew stuff that the average Christian does not know. So I dropped him off at his hotel. I said, do you need anything else? And he said, no, thank you. And I don't know what happened to him after that, but he said, I've got stuff. I work with the Amish. I've even started seeing these people that stand on the side of the road and beg for food. I think I need to adjust some things in my life. Yes, there's always the opportunity that they're going to take the money or the gift card and they're going to buy something that's not right. I'm, I'm having a different view here now. You, you need to know that because I'm your pastor. You need to know that I'm starting to see these people that are along the side of the road in a little different context. Because it says, Jesus says, give to anyone who begs from you. The word beg is to ask with urgency. Please help. I think where I'm at right now is I would rather err on the side of obedience. Not that person may use what I give them wrong, but I'm not sure that I can pass them by so readily now. And just dismiss it. Maybe there's some other things I could come up with, you know, give them tracks and stuff like that as I go by. But but people people sometimes arrive at their positions in life by nothing of their own doing. Obviously, Jesus is thinking about beggars that would line the streets. Take the high road. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? Take the high road. And do not refuse the one that would borrow from you. This is a true story. True story. In my first church, we had about 150, 160. I was in a meeting. This word borrow, donezo, means to lend money without interest. I can't remember what the board was. There was six or seven on this board and, and I of course was a chairman by default 
basically I just showed up and let the, com the committee do what they wanted to do. They were going to do something, and I can't, honestly, I went back to try to figure out what it was. I can't remember. But it was a significant amount of money. It was, I want to say it was between ten dollars and $15,000. A man on the committee said, you know what? I had several wealthy people in my church. And this one man on the board said, you know what? I'll loan the church the money. The next part will shock you. This I do remember. And I'll only charge the church 5% interest, which is better than what you could get at any bank. Crickets from people on the committee. Charging, charging the church. Jesus says, just give. Don't expect anything in return. I didn't say anything. I just, it, it was silenced. I do believe the church wound up borrowing from a bank. And if I remember right, it was like 2% interest. <laughs> so I think they, wound, they said, we don't trust this guy. We're not going to go with him. I think they did wind up, and they wound up paying off the loan like that. But somebody asked you for money, and you've got it? I don't know what to tell you. Jesus says it. It's pretty clear. Yeah, I'll never forget that. That was years and years and years ago. And I still remember the guy saying, I'll only charge the church 5% interest. That was the same guy I had all kinds of problems with. Revenge, don't strike out. Don't try to get back with people. Don't, don't think of ways at night in your bed where you can get back and do something to them. Um, take the high road. Take the road less traveled, the one that Jesus took. Love people. Give to them. Let them insult you without saying anything back. And it gets tempting. It is tempting. I'm not saying it's easy. It is tempting. But don't say anything. Stand for the truth. But you can, you can teach the truth in love. And take the high road. Just forget revenge. Because through my life, I've said stuff that I wish I could take back, right? You've all done it. So that's what I have for you today. Take